Jennifer vanished sometime in the overnight hours. Right now, there is no trace. Investigators say evidence leads them to believe that she's dead. Stick my nose back on the trail. That's all I can do. This is already gone. Already gone. Already gone. Leanne and Mick met at Michigan State University in the early 1990s. And I'm not too different from Leanne, because I remember driving up to Lansing or going out to Ann Arbor to hang out with college friends and meet boys. But for Leanne and Mick, a chance meeting on a college campus became the foundation of their relationship. They would fall in love, they would get married. But that's not where our story starts. Today, our story starts with the 911 call. Our story starts with a tragedy. Mick and Leanne seemed like the perfect couple. When they met, he was a student at Michigan State University with plans to attend law school. And Leanne was a hard worker who would become his devoted wife. She was willing to put in the effort to support his dreams. So Leanne worked as a nail tech while Mick finished law school. Their future? Him, a high-powered lawyer, and her, the mother of what would hopefully be many children, looked bright. Mick and Leanne had a modest beginning at a house in Hazel Park. They lived in a brick bungalow with a narrow driveway, but it was a tidy and welcoming home. They shared a beautiful baby girl, Hannah, who was much loved by her parents and Leanne's large extended family. It wasn't until the end of 1997 that things began to fracture, that cracks showed in the facade of a happily married couple. You see, in 1997, Mick Fletcher met his ideal woman, a local judge named Susan Sharnofsky. And yes, if you remember Judge Mary Sharnofsky, who we've mentioned in previous episodes and whose name will come up in our next episode, Susan is her niece. Mick met Susan when he was clerking for her in the city of Warren. He was immediately attracted to the dark-haired, newly single jurist, and before long, the two became entangled in an affair. It wasn't just sex, although Mick and Susan found plenty of time for that. In the summer of 1998, the newly divorced Sharnofsky used her position with the court to funnel cases to Mick's fledgling law practice, making him the public defender for dozens of clients. She sent him nearly 60 cases over the next few months. Then, instead of recusing herself from cases where her lover was the defense attorney, she stayed on the bench for these trials and hearings. Listeners, this is a huge conflict of interest. A judge should not preside when their lover is of counsel to someone being tried in their courtroom. Clearly, the relationship with Mick Fletcher was clouding her judgment. Now, to be fair, it's not uncommon for judges to give cases to their friends. It is uncommon and unethical for a judge to assign cases to someone they're sleeping with, then to preside over said cases without telling the prosecutor that she has an intimate relationship with the defendant's counsel. There is no way to put a positive spin on this. The entire situation is unethical. In the summer of 98, while Mick's fledgling law practice is getting a boost from his lover, it's the same time that Leanne Fletcher told her mother of a strain in her marriage. She described Mick's behavior as cold and distant, 
Leanne didn't understand why the marriage had soured. She had no idea that her husband had someone on the side, although she sometimes wondered if that could be the case. Also, at this point in the marriage, Leanne is working as a nail technician to bring in extra funds for the young family. While Mick was working as an attorney and getting extra cases from his lover, the judge, the Fletchers were still scraping to get by as his career hadn't yet taken off. Susan Sharnovsky did gift her lover a new desktop computer to help his law practice have a more professional and accomplished appearance. Meanwhile, in the Fletcher home, the coldness from Mick continued, and Leanne wasn't sure what to do. She knew she didn't want to live like that. She didn't want to remain in what was becoming a loveless marriage. Leanne Fletcher was a confident, beautiful young woman. If Mick couldn't see her value, she wasn't sticking around to put up with mistreatment. She packed her things and took Hannah, going to stay with family while Mick sorted his priorities. And it was at this time that Leanne suspected he was having an affair. She couldn't be sure. She just knew that she did not deserve the treatment he was showing her. Meanwhile, Mick and Susan are seeing each other a few times a week. Mick told Susan that he and Leanne were only together for the sake of their child, and he was considering a divorce. In late August of 1998, Mick apologized, and Leanne, who loved him and wanted their marriage and young family to work out, she accepted his apology and moved back to the marital home. But the reconciliation didn't last. In January of 1999, Mick filed for divorce from Leanne and moved out of their Hazel Park home. It didn't take him long to realize that he'd made a mistake, and he went to Leanne asking her forgiveness. Leanne was skeptical, but her husband, who she did love, said all the right things. He brought her flowers. He told her that he was recommitting to their family. Leanne, who loved her husband and had hopes for their future, accepted him at his word, and they reconciled. But listeners, Mick did not withdraw his petition for divorce, nor did he stop seeing Susan Sharnovsky. The spring and summer of 1999 seemed normal to Leanne. She thought their marriage was on track and was delighted to discover that she was pregnant with their second child, a little brother or sister for Hannah. She shared the news with her husband on August 12th. Mick claimed to be thrilled at the prospect of another baby. Again, Mick Fletcher says and does all the right things. For example, he bought Leanne a romantic card and wrote a loving note in the card about his excitement and pleasure over their new little boy or girl. He made no mention that there was a big problem with Leanne being pregnant. You see, Mick told his lover, Susan Sharnovsky, that he and Leanne were together for Hannah, but it was a loveless and a sexless relationship. If Susan learned that his wife was expecting a baby, she would end their physical relationship, and she would stop funneling clients to him. This was a lose-lose proposition for Mick Fletcher. While Leanne was radiant and happy, Mick was fuming internally, trying to find a way out of his predicament. On August 15th, Leanne, Mick, and little Hannah went out for dinner with Leanne's parents. They shared the happy news about Leanne's pregnancy. During the dinner, Mick asked his in-laws if they could watch Hannah the next day. He explained that he wanted to take Leanne to the gun range for a shooting lesson. This came as a surprise to Leanne's parents. They knew that their daughter hated guns, 
and going to the range didn't sound like something she would ask for or enjoy. But they did love their daughter and their granddaughter, so the Meesners agreed to watch baby Hannah. Once dinner was over, Mick got Leanne and Hannah settled at home. Then he said, hey, I've got some errands to run, and left the house. Leanne had no idea that he was headed to see Susan. Leanne didn't know that Mick and Susan had sex that night, and that Mick told Susan he loved her very much. Leanne Fletcher has less than 24 hours left to live. And listeners, we'll be right back. On August 16, 1999, Mick and Leanne dropped their daughter Hannah off with Leanne's parents so they could go to the gun range. Mick purchased his gun, a 45 caliber handgun, a year earlier after working a drug case. I think that the people he dealt with while handling that case scared him a bit, and he thought it would be useful to own a handgun for protection. But his wife Leanne, she didn't like guns, and she didn't know how to handle one, so he got her to go along on this trip to the gun range by telling her that he wanted her to learn how to handle it properly, how to fire the weapon, so that she would generally feel more comfortable around a gun. After their time at the range, the couple headed home. Mick consulted his watch and mentioned to Leanne that they had time for a quickie before they needed to get Hannah from her parents. The two had sex on the floor of their bedroom, and when they were finished, Leanne was shot in the head, the bullet entering her skull after passing through the center of her right ear. Mick, who was supposedly in the bathroom washing up when he heard the shot, ran to the phone and dialed 911. You heard a bit of his 911 call at the beginning of this episode. Police and EMS responded to the Fletcher home. They immediately attended to the nearly naked woman bleeding out on the floor of her bedroom. Unfortunately, there was nothing that could be done to save 29-year-old Leanne Fletcher or her unborn child. It didn't take long for the detectives to have issues with the story Mick Fletcher told them about the accidental shooting. When questioned by police, he said that he and Leanne went to the gun range that morning, then came back to the house for a quickie. And yeah, he used the term quickie when talking to police, before they picked up their daughter, Hannah, from the in-law's house. Mick and Leanne had sex on the floor of the master bedroom, and afterward, Mick went to the bathroom to clean up when he heard a gunshot. He thought that maybe Leanne was trying to reload the handgun they'd used at the range when it accidentally went off and shot her in the head. Now, there are several issues with his story, but the one that jumps out to me from information gleaned at autopsy is that the gunshot wound showed a speckling of gunpowder burns around it. If Leanne had accidentally shot herself in the head for this wound, a clean slice through the center of her right ear, she would have to hold the weapon 12 to 15 inches away from her head to create the powder burns that were visible. Leanne's arms were not long enough to make that a possibility. When investigators searched the Fletcher home for clues, they uncovered a treasure trove of evidence showing Mick's ongoing affair with Judge Susan Sharnovsky. While he played grieving husband for the press and police, the notes and photos they found hidden away, which ranged from raunchy to romantic, told another story. Other evidence discovered in the Fletcher home included a large amount of blood in the bathroom sink where Mick was supposedly washing up after sex with his wife. Finally, they collected the dress shirt he was wearing when Leanne was shot, 
When they examined it, the right cuff showed evidence of high-velocity blood spatter. This fine, mist-like spatter is blowback from a gunshot wound, not the type of blood you'd see if you attended to your mortally wounded wife. The evidence, particularly the speckling on Leanne's head and the blood spatter on Mick's shirt, was not lining up with the story Mick presented when questioned about the events of that terrible day. In the hours after Leanne's death, Mick placed a call to Susan Sharnovsky, clearly the actions of a grieving husband. Susan was unable to take the call, but she paged him the next morning and he did not call her back. On August 17th, the day after the murder, police went to speak with the judge. She admitted that yes, she'd had an affair with Mick, but it only lasted a few weeks, from February of 1999 through March of 1999. There was no mention of the previous year of secret hookups, client referrals, and clandestine meetings. Listeners, the story she told police doesn't line up with what we know of the relationship she was having with Mick, and eventually, the judge will walk that story back. Two days after she was questioned, Sharnovsky will go to the police and come clean about her relationship with Mick Fletcher. She'll tell them everything, including that she'd been intimate with Mick the night before Leanne was shot and that he'd called her just hours after the shooting. To be clear, Susan Sharnovsky was not a suspect in Leanne's murder. In fact, she was out of town when the shooting occurred. Mick was the only suspect on police radar, and for good reason. When it comes to how the shooting actually happened, forensic scientist David Woodford theorized that Leanne was on her hands and knees on the floor next to the bed when she was shot at close range in the side of the head. The force of impact pushed her body up onto the bed. Dr. Dragovic, the Oakland County coroner, agreed with Woodford's theory. Dragovic said that for Leanne to have shot herself in the head at the angle the bullet entered, her arms would have to be almost four feet long. There was no way that Leanne Fletcher accidentally shot herself, and there was only one person with her when she was shot. That was her husband, Mick Fletcher. One more thing. Based on sperm activity at autopsy, Leanne and Mick had sexual intercourse shortly before the murder. There is something so absolutely cold-blooded about having sex with your pregnant wife just moments before you shoot her in the head and leave her to bleed out on the floor of your bedroom. On August 19, 1999, Leanne's funeral was held at the Price Funeral Home in Troy. It was also on August 19th that Mick Fletcher was arrested. He was charged with first-degree murder, assault of a pregnant individual with the intent of causing a miscarriage or stillbirth, and two counts of possession of a firearm during the commission of a felony. Mick Fletcher would go on trial in June of 2000. The prosecution said that while Mick lulled Leanne into a sense of security in their relationship by playing the part of the loving, attentive husband, it was all a lie. He had a plan to go to the gun range that day, which would explain why he had gunshot residue on his hands should they be tested after the shooting. Prosecutors also theorized that Mick rehearsed his 911 call. He rehearsed it so he'd sound the part of a grieving husband when he called for help. There is no mention made of how long he may have waited to call 911, but I'm wondering if he took his time getting to the phone, wanting to be sure that Leanne would not somehow survive the shooting. During the trial, 
His defense countered that just because Mick was having an affair does not mean that he wanted his wife dead. They called the blood spatter and gunshot evidence circumstantial. Listeners, I think they knew there wasn't much to be done for Mick Fletcher. He'd tried to make the murder look like a terrible accident, but he did such a half-assed job planning the murder that his scheme was easy to see through. As loathsome as he is, he still deserves his day in court, and it sounds like the defense team really tried their best. Mick took the stand in his own defense and admitted that he had shortcomings. He said, I wasn't a very good husband. I should have been better, and there's nothing I can do to make that up. I didn't kill my wife. I could never do anything like that. Never in a million years. Mick stuck to his story that he was in the bathroom when he heard the shot, and when he came into the bedroom, he found Leanne sprawled on the floor, bleeding from a head wound. Mick Fletcher continues to claim that the death of his pregnant wife was an accident that happened while she handled the handgun. He said that the 911 call was not rehearsed. He claimed to have held his dying wife, but the blood or lack of blood on his body and clothing told another story. The trial lasted for three weeks, and on June 30th, after deliberating more than 20 hours, the jury, comprised of 10 men and two women, found Michael Fletcher guilty of second-degree murder and possession of a firearm during the commission of a felony. According to the Ludington Daily News, after the verdict was read, Mick dropped his head, then lifted it and stared straight ahead, showing no emotion. Mick's mother began sobbing and was consoled by his father. Leanne's family cried as well, and later thanked the prosecutor for their work on behalf of Leanne and the baby. Deliberations for this case were not easy. I've read that the jury had a hard time reaching a verdict and resorted to role-playing the circumstances of Leanne's death. The jury had access to the actual murder weapon during this time. In the end, they opted for second-degree instead of first-degree murder because they couldn't agree as to whether he'd planned her death or if it was a spur-of-the-moment decision. Listeners, this is a guy that took his gun-shy wife to the range hours before the murder so they'd both have gunshot residue on their hands. In my opinion, her murder was absolutely premeditated. But even with a second degree instead of first, his sentence was the same. Mick Fletcher would receive life without parole. After the trial, one juror spoke to the press and said that Mick's demeanor during the 911 call, how he never said Leanne's name, really bothered them. That Mick said, my wife, my wife, instead of using her name. Another juror agreed saying he called her honey and sweetheart, but never Leanne. Not surprisingly, Mick's parents came to his defense. They simply cannot believe that he would kill his wife and unborn child and leave his daughter without a mother. Leanne's parents were understandably furious and disgusted with Mick and with Judge Susan. If you'd like a look at her parents and siblings, or to learn a bit more about the case, there is a Forensic Files episode you could watch on YouTube. It's Season 6, Episode 28, titled Naked Justice. Mick did appeal his sentence, and in 2004, the Michigan State Court of Appeals affirmed his sentence, and he would have to serve out life in prison. Susan Sharnofsky was never charged with a crime regarding Leanne's death, but in September of 99, the Macomb County prosecutor asked the Judicial Tenure Commission to investigate her relationship with Mick Fletcher and to look at how it impacted her time on the bench. 
Susan was suspended from the court in July of 2000. This is about the same time that her former lover was on trial. The investigation was handled by former Michigan Supreme Court Justice Charles Levin. Levin determined that Susan hadn't done anything worthy of removal or suspension. Levin said that assigning cases to, quote, close personal friends is a common practice, and he didn't see why she should be reprimanded for something other judges have done and will continue to do. When it came to Susan lying to the police, remember she told them the relationship lasted a month, but then she went back days later and told them the whole sordid story? Levin said that since she corrected her timeline, she showed no evidence to deceive. And listeners, I find that ridiculous because she lied to the police during a murder investigation. The executive director of the Judicial Tenure Commission was outraged over the lack of consequence for Sharnovsky. He told Time magazine, Everyone should have a level playing field when they walk into a courtroom. How can it be fair when the judge is sleeping with one of the attorneys? Susan Charnovsky would tell Time magazine that she was the victim of media hype. Following Levin's recommendation for no consequences, the Judicial Tenure Commission asked the Michigan Supreme Court to suspend Susan for a year without pay. When the dust settled, Susan was suspended without pay for a term of six months. She was eligible to return to the bench in June of 2002, and she served out her term, which ended in 2003. She was eligible to run again, but decided against it. Her LinkedIn profile said that she worked as a judge until 2003 and, in 2006, went into private practice, specializing in divorce and family law, of all things. So if you're in the Detroit area and need a family lawyer, you can call Susan Sharnovsky. And listeners, a couple of quick notes before we wrap up. I'm one of the organizers of the True Crime Podcast Festival in Dallas, Texas, August 26th through the 28th, 2022. If you'd like to join me and some of your favorite true crime podcast hosts for a weekend of fun, visit www.truecrimepodcastfestival.com. And if you're in Michigan, I will be at Motor City Nightmares at the Sheraton on Haggerty Road in Novi the weekend of July 29, 2022. Come check out my booth. I'm Nina Instead, the writer, producer, and voice behind the Already Gone podcast. I appreciate you listening, and please, be safe. Be safe.